Hey, Grace, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, we have been praying for you this week. We hope that you've had an amazing week. We are looking forward to the day in which we can gather in person once again. So we're in a story right now about a man named Jonah. We're looking at the book of Jonah right now. So open your Bibles right now to Jonah chapter one. We're gonna be looking at verses one through three. And we're gonna take a look at a couple of big ideas that we looked at last week as we continue in this series. So let's read from verse one. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So I want you to take a look first at what's taking place here. So God has come to Jonah and said, hey, I want you to preach against the city of Nineveh. But what he knew, Jonah knew, is that when he said that, he knew that the people of Nineveh would repent. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. He hated the Assyrians. They had been terrible to the Israelites for hundreds of years. And so here's what happened. He said this because the wickedness of the Assyrians had come up before me. We don't know what it was happening at that moment to cause that. We don't know the specific behaviors or how that was taking place or what was taking place. But here's what we know. Somehow, in some way, the wickedness of this great, big, giant city of 150,000 people, biggest city on the planet at that point, became uh, so wicked that it caught the attention of God, okay? And so what happens? What happens next is that Jonah says, I'm not going to do it, Lord. I don't want to do that. So he tries to flee from the Lord. We've all been in those circumstances before where we have these moments with God that we just kind of like we butt heads. And in those moments, we want to flee from him. Why? Because there's a, there's a problem with us in our heart. We're going to talk about this in a second, but Jonah wanted to flee from the Lord. We've been there before, but it makes no sense because there's nowhere that we can go where God is not present. In fact, the psalmist addresses this very issue. This is what he says. Psalm 139, verses seven through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? He says. Where can I flee from your presence? Maybe even hearkening back to the idea of the story of Jonah. He says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So this is a great question. Where can I go from your presence? The psalmist is clear. There's nowhere that we can go. God is always with us. And one of the beautiful things about the story of Jonah and the story of your life is that God has always been in pursuit of you. That there's never been a time where he just said, you know what, I'm done with you. He doesn't do this. Even, even with somebody who's actively disobeying and walking away from God, God is in pursuit of him. Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere, he says. Even there, wherever we go, at the far side of the sea, the edge of the earth is what he's saying. Even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand, right hand of God in the Old Testament is always power and strength. Your right hand in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of me running away from you, it will still hold me fast. That means this, that there's never been a moment in your life where you have been apart from God in such a way that his strength and his power and his goodness have not been in pursuit of you. That's a challenge for us and it was definitely a challenge for Jonah. And here's the reason why. You and I run and Jonah ran because we have a faith problem. Now listen, that's not a condemnation or a judgment of you saying that you lack faith, but we do have faith problems every once in a while. And this particular faith problem shows up in one particular way. And that is that we don't trust God. 
You run because you don't see a good father in heaven who's in pursuit of you and who is powered by his divine love for you. That's one of the big mistakes that we make in our relationship with God. We forget that he's a good father. There's reasons for that, and you have reasons for that, and I have reasons for that. But every once in a while, we just we have these moments of self-examination, things we've done, wicked things that we've done, just like the Ninevites, where the shame inside of us rises and we think of ourselves, I'm not worthy, God doesn't desire me, I just want to run in the complete opposite direction of God. Nothing could be further from the truth because he has a father's heart for you. Not just a father's heart, but a good father's heart. And because of that, he is always in pursuit of you. You can run, but all that's going to do is increase suffering. All that's going to do is increase pain. Those circumstances that that we have in our life that are filled with shame, they're not larger than the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. He died for you. He gave his life for you. He is in pursuit of you because he loves you. There's no other reason. He loves you with all of his heart. See, God will go to great lengths for you. He will pursue you no matter what. Jonah chapter one, verse 17. This is what he says. He says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's just terrible. I can't even imagine that. Three days and three nights. Jonah's in rebellion. His his heart is hard-hearted at this point. He's obstinate. He's filled with rebellion. Number one, he's running. Number two, he's rebelling. Number one, he's he's running. Number two, he's rebelling. And let's read that one more time. Let's take a look at it. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Listen, I don't want to talk about the big fish. (laughs) This seems to be something that people just want to fixate on. What kind of fish was it? Was it a whale? Was it a fish? Was it a big fish? Obviously, it had to be a big fish, right? But we're not going to spend any time on that because that's not the point of this. Let me just say this. There are all kinds of creatures in the sea right now that we have no knowledge of. There are creatures that could have lived back then that were enormous that could have swallowed him. God could have created a fish specifically for this purpose to swallow Jonah. We don't know. So let's not reduce the story down to whether or not there is a fish or there is not. Here's a better question for us. And the better question for us is, is Jonah actually a historical person or is this just kind of like a fable? Well, if you'll take a look in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it'll be up on the screen. This is what it says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man, that's Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So just fast forward many, 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 many years. Jesus now is talking. And so Jesus references Jonah as an actual historical figure. And if you look at different passages of the scripture and even different books in the Bible, Jonah, the son of Amittai is mentioned. He's not a fiction. This is not a fable. This is not just designed to teach us a moral. This is to show us that even when we are fleeing God and even when we are in rebellion against God, God is actively pursuing us. He's not willing to let us go. For many of us, we screw up and someone abandons us. They just walk out the door. They say, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I don't want anything else to do with you anymore. And we've internalized things like that. And unfortunately, we take those internalizations and we push them and project them onto God. And we say, you know what? This is how God's certainly going to act. No, no, no. That's how your broken father, your broken mother, your broken friend, your broken husband or wife has acted. That is not the way that the God of heaven acts. He is pursuing Jonah. But what I want you to notice here is it says three days and three nights in the belly of this huge fish. It's an amazing thing. Jesus uses this imagery. He says, all right, look, so just like Jonah, 
I am just like Jonah. And so he's saying, essentially, Jonah is this Christ-like figure in the Old Testament. So Jonah was buried in the, in the sea in this great fish. I will be buried in the earth for three days, both three days. The difference is this, that Jesus went to his grave with not rebellion, but with obedience. You see, Jonah and Jesus were both called to do one thing that was exactly the same, and that's this, to seek and save the lost. Jonah, God said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach to them because he knew that if he preached, they would repent. And he didn't want them. He wanted their suffering. He wanted bad things for them. He wanted hard things for them. And so here's what happens. In this story right here, what Jesus is referencing is this, is that Jonah is going to go with a bad motive. Jesus went with the right motive. They both went with the same mission, and that was to seek and save the lost. When Jesus was buried into the ground and then subsequently resurrected, it opened up eternal life for all kinds of people. Listen, if you are checking out Jesus for the first time, this is the good news of the gospel. And that is that Jesus did not come. These are his words. I did not come for the well, but I came for the sick. I came to seek and save the lost. In other words, he's been in pursuit of you for a long, long time. Listen, a long time uh, before I became a Christian, God was in pursuit of me. I didn't know it. I couldn't see those things, but God was preparing my heart all along. He was readying me for the day when someone would say just the right thing. When the right words combined together to produce faith inside of my heart, it changed my entire life. Why? Because God had been in pursuit of me. Even through the very terrible things that had happened in my life before, I became a follower of Jesus. God used those circumstances to orchestrate my good and my salvation. Jesus died, was buried into the ground. He then rose again so that you and I could have salvation and true life with him. Now, Jesus went with obedience. Jonah went with rebellion. And so God grabs him. And as he grabs him, he says, listen, I want you to struggle in with this. I want you to deal with this issue. And that is, I'm fleeing, I'm running from you, and I'm rebelling against you. See, God would rescue many people through Jonah's preaching. And this is exactly what Jonah was trying to pre prevent. See, one of the big problems that Jonah had was that he didn't believe that God was acting moral towards Israel. Jonah believed that all of the Ninevites deserved to suffer. Why? Because they had been brutal and they had been vicious against Israel for a long, long time. And therefore, almost like somebody who had been abused, Jonah just like he lashes out against God. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to run away from you. I'm going to disobey you. I'm going to do everything that I can so that you cannot have your way and your will in my life. He believed that God was not being moral. And you might look at that and go, man, that's something that would happen way back then, but not today. No, no, that happens to us all the time. I want you to think about it for a second. There's a lot of us that find certain things about God and we look at it and we go, is that really moral? We read something in the Bible and we go, man, I don't like that. That's really frustrating or worrisome to me. Or, or even in our everyday life, we go through a very difficult divorce and then we look at God and we go, seriously, God, this is not what I expected. This was not the plan. I did right things and good things. And then to make things even worse, God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to forgive I want you to forgive that person. You're like, no way, I'm not doing that. Why? Because you feel like God's being immoral. Why? Because he's saying, I want you to forgive the one who was wrong. But that's the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. It's hard for us sometimes to swallow. It's difficult for us to take. Why? Because when, even when you forgive someone, it feels like you have to humble yourself before them. And when you're in conflict with them, that's the last thing that you want to do. But at the end of the day, here's the deal. 
Every single one of us has been in that situation and Jonah has been in that situation. He is actually actively rebelling against God and then complaining about the Ninevites who have been in rebellion against God too. He's being a hypocrite in this moment and he's saying essentially, I want you to have justice for them, but I want grace or I want mercy for myself. And that's a very human response. We're not gonna judge uh, Jonah for that because we have that uh, response all the time. We find ourselves being frustrated by the fact that other people seem to get away with stuff and we find ourselves being like, why God, why, why, why? And in those moments, we think to ourselves, well, God, you're not being nice to me. You're not being moral. You are not being good, which is the fundamental issue at heart right now. The fundamental issue is, do we believe that God is good? So Jonah cries out to God, not because he wants to do what's good for him, right? But he cries out because he's in pain. Let's take a look at Jonah chapter two, verses one through two. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now, let's just take a look at this for a second. I want you to notice it says from inside the fish. Now he's been there for three days. What was he doing for three days? You know what he's doing? The first thing he did was, he was, he was running from God. Now, and then he was rebelling from God. And now he's just, he's complaining to God for three days. This is Jonah, just complain, complain, complain until eventually he cries out to God. But he doesn't cry out to God because he wants to be right with God. He cries out to God because pain has risen to the level of necessity. And that's what happens to us sometimes in our lives. We get to the place where pain or suffering or hardship we start re-examining the circumstances and strategies of our life. And we go, man, hold on a second. Maybe this pain that I'm going through right now, maybe I should look to God. Maybe I should look to a bigger answer than what I'm going through right now. That's why a lot of people come to faith through painful circumstances. That was my very own circumstances. But look at it again. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Now, why did he pray to his Lord, to, to the Lord, his God? He said, in my distress. In other words, because I'm in pain, because I'm frustrated, what am I going to do? I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now let's pause and talk about this for one second, right? Can we, just, can we just look at this? Because this idea of suffering is super important for us. Because for many of us, we'll go through a Jonah circumstance where God shakes us, he brings a storm into our life, and we go through painful circumstances. And, and many of us will simply get bogged down with the question of this. Does God bring suffering into our life or does he just allow it? Well, what I'm going to say to you is that that's an irrelevant question. And here's the reason why. Not because our suffering is irrelevant or not important at all. Suffering is massively important. But suffering and pain are not good or evil things in and of themselves. It depends upon the heart of the one who is suffering and the heart that brought the suffering. Last week, I gave you a little or a small example of this. My daughter was riding her bike. She fell down. She skinned her knee. And... Uh, I grabbed her, picked her up, and then I brought her in. She had all this dirt. So I debrided it. I just took some alcohol. I rubbed it out. She was crying. She's like, Daddy, that hurts so bad. But I had to bring pain into her life in that moment to prevent a greater evil happening down the road. She could have got infected. It could have gotten worse. It could have gone septic. It would have been terrible. So you know what I did in that moment? I said, I know this is going to hurt my daughter, but I'm going to inflict pain on her in this moment. And did it bring me joy to do so? No, but it was the right and necessary thing to do for her well-being, to make her whole, to make her okay, to make her good. And so I did that. But, but so, so here's, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to, I wrote this down. I want you to catch this, right? You see, I've come to understand that pain and suffering are both responses to something else. They're not the thing itself. 
Their response is to something else. You can be physically hurt by someone else. You can be emotionally hurt by someone else. You can even be emotionally hurt by yourself. You can become the cause of your pain. But not all pain, pain itself is not right or wrong. When I was a kid, um, <laughs> we used to, after school, we'd ride the bus home. And me and my buddies, we would, right before we got off the school bus, we'd say, all right, I grew up in Tuscaloosa, which is in Winter Springs. There's a huge park out there. I said, all right, meet all you guys at the park at four o'clock. And there'd be 10 or 12 of us. And I said, what we're going to do is we're going to play tackle football. And so we would just take turns being quarterback and we put the guys out there and it was awesome. We had a lot of fun. You know, like 12, 11, 12 year olds, right? Like their bones just go like this, right? So here's what we used to do. We didn't play flag football. You know, we, our, our parents didn't, like, like this was in the 80s when your parents didn't care about you. They let you just go out and do whatever. And so, here, so here's what we did. We went out and we played this tackle football, right? And it was awesome because we were like little guys. And so we'd get out there and we'd throw our shoulder into each other. We didn't play flag football. We just pushed each other down when necessary. We were, it was awesome. We had a great time with it. Now here, I want you to think about this. Every time I left that, flag, uh, that, that football uh, time with all those other guys, walking home or riding my bike home, I felt terrible. Like I felt terrible. I felt all bruised up. I was sore. But I loved it. I was so excited. Why? Because these were my boys. And if I'm going to spend time with my boys, this is the kind of stuff that we wanted to do. So for me in that moment, the pain was actually the amazing pleasure of being able to spend time with guys that I cared about, guys that I love, my buddies, my friends. You might have a situation in your life right now where you go to the gym. And when you go to the gym, you go to the gym, some of you resent going to the gym and you just do it because you have to. Others love going to the gym. But one thing's true for both of you, and that is that pain is non-negotiable. Every single person on the planet experiences pain. So when you get back from the, j- the, the gym, you've got pain all over you. There's even a term for it. It's called domes, delayed onset muscle soreness. And what does that mean? It means after you've done all that work in the gym, you're going to feel pain. But here's the thing. When you feel that pain, your body's adapting. And when your body adapts, it gets stronger, it gets healthier, and it gets better. So sometimes we go through pain in order to become better. Now, I want you to see this again, and I want to say it as clear as possible. Pain and suffering are not necessarily right or wrong in themselves. What makes them right or wrong is the heart behind it. And so Jonah's heart behind his pain right now is not a good heart. It's not a good heart at all. Why? Because he's in rebellion against God. He's running from God. He's resenting God. So now he's going to spend three days in the heart of this great fish. And he's going to be complaining. He's going to be whining to God. He's going to be doing all all of these things. But he's the cause. He's the direct cause of his pain. So you can take and look at at the situation like this. If you have an ex-husband or an ex-wife or a relationship that went south at some point or another, like most of us have had. When you look back on that, and, and I've done lots of counseling, people like this. They come and they're frustrated. And so they do hard and ugly things to each other. They're just mean sometimes and vindictive. Maybe you've done that. And that's, again, that's not a condemnation. It's just the heart that's broken, lashes out. But when somebody lashes out to you and you lash out with revenge, then what we can say is that suffering is bad. That's a wicked form of suffering. God doesn't intend for you to have that kind of suffering because it's a consequence of a bad heartedness in another person. You can do that to yourself like Jonah. He's got some bad heartedness towards God and it's causing all kinds of pain in his own life. Pain and suffering are not necessarily right or wrong. They are responses to other things. The question becomes, what is behind, what is the heart behind the pain and the suffering you're going through? And Jonah makes it abundantly clear, the book of Jonah makes it abundantly clear that God's heart for you behind Jonah's suffering 
and your suffering as a follower of Jesus is to conform you to his image, to make you look like him so that you don't go through all kinds of suffering and hardship in your life. Before I became a Christian, when I was not a follower of Jesus, I made all kinds of bad choices and that led to an increase of suffering and pain in my life that was just tragic and terrible. Finally, that suffering rose inside of me to the level that I said, I gotta do something different. And that was the exact time somebody came and shared the gospel with me. And immediately, my life began to change. Now, I've had suffering and struggles and hardships since that time, but here's the difference. Ever since that day, I've known without a shadow of a doubt that every bad thing that I go through, the Father is smiling behind it. Not at my pain and my suffering, but that he knows the plan and that he's good behind it. And that he loves me. And that he's not willing to let me get off course forever so that I increase my suffering and I increase my brokenness and I increase my suffering and I increase my brokenness. He's going to pursue me no matter what. For some of us, we now realize that pain in our life is neither right nor wrong. It's just the response to something else. And really what matters is the heart behind the pain. And if you had somebody who's, who's, who's done terrible things to you, just like the Amalekites had done terrible things to the people of Israel, including um, Jonah's family. If someone's done something terrible to you, here's the challenge I want to put before you. And this is the challenge that the Lord would put before you. You've got to forgive. You've got to hope for Christ in this person's life. And I know immediately right now, some of you go, hold on a second. So you want me to forgive my ex-husband who walked out on me, walked out on me, my ex-wife who walked out on me? You want me to let go of that and just pretend that it didn't happen? No, 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 no. I don't want any of that for you. Here's, Here's what I want for you. I want for you to do what Jonah needed to do. And that was to turn away, to stop running, to stop rebelling, and to stop complaining. And I want you to repent. You're not repenting of what they did to you. You're repenting of your response to what they did. See, Jonah's problem is his response to what God said. He said simply this, go and preach. I just want you to do this one thing. I just want you to think the best for these people. I want you to go and preach them. And there's a part of us that cries, no, God, I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. Why? Because they're bad. They've done wrong to me. But behind the pain, even when someone has a bad heart, is a good father's heart. And his desire for you is to be blessed. And his desire for you is not to suffer increasingly. There were three days Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Why not one day? Why not one hour? Because Jonah continued to walk away from God. And he elongated the suffering in his life. See, some of us need to spend time today doing business with God. He's chasing us. He hears us. He loves us, including those moments when we suffer. So how do we make good out of our pain and suffering? We don't run. We don't rebel. We don't resent. We repent. And that's what we need to do. See, in repentance, we acknowledge God's reality and God's goodness as a father. It is in the surrendering of ourselves so that we can be whole again that God shows up. So here's the thing. Spend some time shortening the distance between your resentment and your rebellion and your repentance. Here's the reason why. Because if we just continue in rebellion, we're going to increase the amount of time that we have to spend in the belly of the fish. In other words, the storm is going to stay with us. But instead, instead, let's shorten the distance between rebellion and repentance and let's make it maybe one hour, one day. Maybe he only had to be in there for one day. 
the storm is shorter when we repent and say, God, I will go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Even if it's asking me to do something extraordinary, like forgive people who absolutely don't deserve to be forgiven. But God, that's not for them. That's for me. God wants to do something different in your heart. Look at what happens in the story. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He even prays with bad motives. I just want to not suffer anymore. He didn't want God's heart. He didn't want to do something right for the Ninevites. Instead, he just wanted to relieve his suffering. But even so, this is what the scripture says. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. All you need to do is if you don't feel equipped to forgive and you don't feel for, uh, equipped to do the next right thing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and tell him that. Simply say, God, I don't know what to do next. I'm simply gonna trust you. Empower me strengthen me to do the thing that you want me to do. I'm not going to run away from you anymore. I'm not going to rebel anymore. I'm not going to resent you anymore. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to repent. I'm going to trust you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. And if you take that big giant step, if you take that big giant step in your life, it will go well for you. Amen? Amen.